All right, so if you have a Bible, <laughs> turn to Genesis chapter 4. Last week, Dave Daly taught uh, the story, throughout the story of Cain and Abel. And then what I want to do today is I want to kind of spend some time in verses 3 to 7 and, and talk about the, the subtlety of envy and anger and how that works its way in. So if it's your first time, like even at church on Thanksgiving, you're thinking, he's going to give like a Thanksgiving message about how good God is and stuff. And I, God is good, but um, we're screwed up. So that's kind of Genesis 4. So let me read verses 3 to 7 and let me pray that God would give us clarity in this and, um, and, and kind of convict us where we need convicting, but also convince us of the grace of God, because God does that, that, that twofold ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and convince us of the righteousness and the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And so if you're convicted of sin, but you're not convinced that God's great, then you need to let that work, work a little bit deeper in your heart, like the convincing uh, the convicting of sin and the convincing of the goodness of Jesus. So let me pray verses uh, 3 to 7, then I'll pray. Verse 3. Again, you guys should have a lot of context. Uh, last week, Dave did a great job teaching through this, this, uh, this chapter. In verse 3, it says this, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought uh, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It's God's word. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning for clarity of mind and clarity of heart. God, I pray, God, that we would have a clear mind and going into this passage that you would encourage us. I pray specifically for um, people here that um, are, are new or, or, or feel real distant from you or, or just um, kind of occasionally, you know, come to church or invite it. And I pray, God, that you give them grace, you give them faith to um, not, not hear just all this bad, bad, bad news, but at the end of that, hear the good news um, that Jesus has saved us. So I pray that, Christ, that you'd be the hero of the story in a huge way. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray you would um, anoint me and use me. I need your help desperately. And I pray, God, that we would all be able to just be vulnerable before you, and um, you would convict us of sin, but also convince us of the grace of Jesus. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me turn on this light because I'm going blind. Okay, there you go. All right, so um, like I said, we're going to talk about anger and envy today, and this is, might be kind of a bummer, but that's the, the whole point of Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. In uh, Shakespeare's play, Othello, you probably read it in high school, the villain, um, Iago, has this famous line in the play where he says of the character that he, he actually tries to kill um, in the play. He has this line, he says this, and the reason why he, he, he hates this other character, this, this villain, this is what he says, Iago. He says, he hath a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. That's why he hated him. The reason why I don't like this character, the reason I don't like this person is because there's a beauty in this person that makes me feel ugly. I'm sure we all feel that way 
about someone in our life or have felt that way about someone in our life, someone that we live with or work with or ride muni with every single day. We see them, we're like, oh, that person is so beautiful or whatever. And you're just like, people that make you feel ugly or people that make you feel unintelligent or unstylish or unfunny or whatever. And there is a name for this. It's, it's envy. It's jealousy. And sometimes envy drives us to want to do better. We see someone, we're like, I'm going to be better. I'm going to try, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to, I'm going to be better than she is or smarter than he is or skinnier or more stylish or make more money than them. And so envy drives us to do better. But sometimes envy drives us to murder, to hate. That's what we looked at last week as Dave Daly taught us the story of Cain and Abel. That story of envy, the envy of Cain and the murder of his brother Abel. But if you read the, throughout the story of the Bible, if you read actually the cover to cover in Scripture, you will find this to be true. That in chapter 4 of Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel is rather a kind of paradigm. The first case in Scripture, in this, of, of a pattern throughout Scripture that will appear again and again and again. Envy as a pattern. You see this over and over again through the pages of Scripture. The story of Cain is represented in stories of Jacob and Esau. Leah and Rachel, Isaac and Ishmael, Joseph and his brothers, King David and King Saul. In the New Testament, you see it with King Herod, who hears about the birth of the Jewish king Jesus and hunts him down and can't find him, so he puts to death every male child under two years old in and around Bethlehem. The story is repeated in your life. It's repeated in my life. All of us, at one time or another, have been driven by envy, have been driven by jealousy. And envy has many friends. Envy has family. Along with envy comes jealousy, and there's covetousness, which is this inordinate desire of wanting something we don't have. It can be summed up in two words, Black Friday. (laughs) And at the root of that, actually at the root of most of these, lies the reality of discontentment. That's where most of the root is. It's discontentment. If, I was, if you were to get under envy and you were to get under jealousy and you were to get under covetousness, you know, what's lying there is this discontentment. And, and, and it could be even a discontentment for things that are good. Like, I want to be like that person. They're healthy. I want to be healthy too. But when discontentment gets nasty is when it leads us to envy. It might be a discontentment because you're not married and you're single. And you have this deep desire to be married, and you're not. And so when you hear it announced at church that so-and-so is engaged, and everybody cheers, something inside you just is hurt. Like there's this deep pain. You can clap like, yay, and inside you're like, oh, it, that one hurt. Why them? Or when, when someone's status on Facebook changes to so-and-so is now dating so-and-so, you just want to unfriend them. Like I don't, I don't even want to be, I'm, I, hate, I hate this, I hate Facebook, I hate There's something in you that you just absolutely hate. You're discontent with being single. Or maybe you just met someone and you're happy now, but it doesn't take that much effort to think back to those dark places of loneliness and discontentment. It might be that, that deep desire to have children. And there are many of these couples in our church. And this one hurts very, very deeply. And slowly, discontentment sets in. And it seems silly. I mean, discontentment always seems silly when you step back. 
because someone else can always look at you and go, but, you, but you're single, you can do anything you want. But you're like, but I just want to be married. Discontentment and not having children seems silly. You're married to the person that you love and you want to spend the rest of your life with, and that should be enough, and that is enough, but there is this deep hurt as months turn into years. All you want now is to have a child with the person that you love. This feeling of discontentment here is as old as the Old Testament. It leads to envy, anger, bitterness towards someone who's pregnant or bitterness towards God. Or it might be you feel struck or stuck in a, in a rather unfulfilling job or a job that doesn't pay enough. Or it's your continued health issues. See, discontentment arises out of circumstances that won't change, circumstances that you feel stuck in. And discontentment leads to envy, which leads to jealousy, which leads to anger, bitterness towards others, and then eventually towards God. Enter Cain. When we read the verses and these verses in chapter 4 of Genesis, we have to notice the subtlety of the narrative. It's so subtle. It's so nuanced. It's almost you have to pay attention to what's not mentioned to get the story. Because what's not mentioned is as important at what, as what is mentioned in the story. In Genesis chapter 4, we're told that Cain and his younger brother Abel brought an offering to God. They brought an offering. Two brothers go to worship God. They both believe in God. They both are hard workers. They both bring their, what, they, what, they, what they work for as an offering to God. Something that was very clear from the very beginning of Scripture is that when you come to worship God, you come with something in your hands. You come with an offering. They did. We are not told that Cain was this godless, wicked person and Abel was a saint. That's not what the narrative says. The narrative does not say that Cain was out clubbing the night before, completely hung over the next morning, grabbed some fruit from his refrigerator, and like, give this to God, this is what I got. I was out late last night. I could not prepare. This is what I got some, I got some like quinoa and an old banana. This is what I got, God. That's not, that's not what the narrative says, okay? He wasn't out partying the night before and then comes in. It just says that they're both, all it says is Cain is a gardener. Cain's a, a farmer like his dad, Adam. And Abel is a rancher. Abel is a shepherd. But what the text doesn't say is as important as what it does say. The narrative says that when Cain brought an offering from his field and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, God had regard for Abel and his offering, meaning God accepted Abel's offering. Now, you might be thinking, okay, why does God accept Abel's offering, not Cain's offering? That's the point of the story. You're not told. And you're supposed to ask. It's like, is, does God like meat and not vegetables. It's like lamb, the good job, squash, no. no not, I don't do squash. Like, that's not what's going on here. The, the sacrificial system has not entered into the equation, as you learned last week. That's not what's happening right here. God had no regard for Cain and his offering. God had all the regard for Abel and his offering. Now, I want to dispel any myth here. 
we're all pretty far removed from bringing God animals and stuff from the farmer's market as an offering to God. We're far, we don't really understand that. So we might think what, what, what happened here was God was on a throne and then Abel came in and brought his like lamb or whatever and laid it before God and then Cain came in and brought grain or whatever, fruit, and laid it before God and God looked at Abel and was like, lamb, good job, bro. That's great. And then God looked at Cain and was like, no, that's not, I don't, disgusting. See, that's not what happened. It's subtle. It's not mentioned. When we ask what's going on here, when we hear this, because the text says it like this, we're left to ask, how does Cain know that God doesn't accept his offering but accepts Abel's offering? How do we know? And how does Cain know? How does Cain realize God doesn't accept my offering? When we ask that question and we look at the text, this is where Cain's heart gets exposed. Abel must have been getting blessed by God in some way. There's something that must have been happening in Abel's life that Cain saw and got extremely envious and jealous of. Something must have been happening in Abel's life that Cain was conceived physically. His brother had the the favor of God. He got the blessing of God. He got accepted by God. And Cain saw this. I don't know what it was. Maybe Abel got that job, that promotion. He was the one to asked to head up that one project, that project that Cain was clearly qualified for. Maybe Abel married that girl, you know, the one that was out of his league, and he was happy and content and blessed. Maybe Abel was having a second child when Cain and his wife couldn't have kids yet. Maybe Abel was asked by his dad to take over the family business when Cain knew it should have been him. He was the firstborn son. He was the farmer. The text doesn't say. We don't know what it was, but we know that envy set in. He saw something good that his brother had done. He saw something that his brother was giving, getting by God, and he got envious. He got jealous, and it sets in. Envy sets in. Just like whenever the ables of the world get blessed, envy sets in. And, and you and I probably don't think of envy as being evil. When I say envy or jealousy or discontentment, not many of us go, oh my gosh, envy, jealousy, discontentment, yeah, yeah, those things are horrible. Not, not many of us think those things are horrible. Those things go unchecked. Those things are like, yeah, I'm kind of envious, but whatever, we'll deal with that later. There are bigger sins out there to tackle. There are bigger problems in the world than envy. Okay, what are the bigger problems in the world than envy? Well, they're greed, murder, violence, slavery. Those are bigger problems. But you know what happens in exactly two chapters from right here? This is what happens. Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Two chapters later, Genesis 1 starts like this. God is creating the world. He's rejoicing over it. It's his song. He's saying it's good. It's very good. He loves it. And then six chapters later, he's like, actually the next verse in verse 6 in chapter 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. He's rejoicing and then all of a sudden, he's going to drown the world in a flood. What happens in the middle is the first mention of this word sin. 
sin is crouching at the door. The context of sin is envy. The context of it are these subtle sins that nobody ever deals with, that we wrestle with all the time, that we're wondering, why do I feel so depressed? Why do I feel so angry? Why am I so mad at that person or at God? Why am I so discontent? Why am I not content? And then there's subtle sins that we never deal with, envy and jealousy. The subtlety of the Cain and Abel narrative is that envy will start a fire that God will have to painfully drown by flooding the earth. Yes, greed and murder and violence and slavery are much bigger issues, but at their root lies envy, jealousy, anger, and discontentment. And all these things we leave unchecked, but God doesn't leave them unchecked. God goes after Cain. Before Cain ever murders Abel, before Cain ever even falls into that sin, God goes to Cain. He says this in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? I'm going to ask KJ to leave this up because I want you guys just to meditate on this. I want you to look at the way this is said. It's actually one of the most difficult passages in the Old Testament to interpret. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Some commentators like Victor Hamilton translate this not only anger, but depression. Why has your face fallen? Is an idiom for depression. It's the first case of depression that we see in Scripture. Cain's face is fallen. He's depressed. He goes to this really dark place. God sees it in his physical demeanor. You know it when somebody is depressed. You know when somebody is like, their, 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 their shoulders are, are hanging over, their face is like down. You know, when you see them, you know what's wrong. And God goes to Cain, what's wrong, Cain? Why is your face fallen? Why are you depressed? Why is anger building in your heart? What's wrong? Why was Cain depressed? Let's be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm Cain. You're Cain. If you think you identify more with Abel, we have some talking to do, okay? We all identify more with Cain. Actually, last night, my wife and I were, like, going through this sermon together, like, what should, we, what should I name this? What should I title this sermon? She's like, you should call it the common Cain, like the common cold. Like, everybody has this. We all deal with this. Why was Cain depressed? Why do you and I often get depressed? It could be said like this, God, I've given you my money. God, I've given you my singleness. God, I've given you my marriage. God, I've given you my life, and what do I get in return? It seems like I get trials and tests, and other people get what I want, and I don't get what I want. I want these things, and I give you these things, and I want these things, and then everyone else gets what they want, and I don't get what I want. I've given you, I give you money every Sunday. I give you an hour and a half of my, of my time at church. I give you my time. I volunteer. I, I, I just give, I give you my singleness. I said, isn't that how it's supposed to work? I like give you my singleness and you give me a, a, a spouse. Like, God, I'm content being single. Like, now I'm ready, <laughs> right? Isn't that how it works? I'm content here, God. I, I'm, I'm content making the money that I make. And then my boss gives me a raise, right? That's how it works, God. What's the deal? And this is exactly where Cain is at. See, there are two basic reasons to give to God, to give an offering to God. 
whether it's money, it's time, it's giving God your sexuality, your marriage, to offer to God your life or part of your life. There are two basic reasons. The first is that you give God in response to who He is. You give to God as a response. You give to God because God, you, you give out a gratitude for salvation. You give out a love. You go like, God, you've given me so much here. It's not even mine. You've given this to me. This job is not even my job. God, you've given me this job here. You've given me breath and life and sight and, and sound, and you've made my hands to work to make the money I do and to think the thoughts I do, to crunch the numbers I do, to work for the company I do. You've done it all here, God. It's all yours. Response. The second reason is given to God in order to get what you want. To get salvation. God, I'll give you an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but I better go to heaven. I'll give you some of my money, but you better keep the money flowing. I'll give you my singleness, but you better hook me up, make me marry up. I mean, if I don't marry up, I'm out. There's two basic reasons to give to God, as a response or as a means of giving, getting back. It's like, it's like deciding who to give Christmas gifts to based on who will give you a great gift back. It's like, okay, let's exchange gifts, okay, but you can give me whatever you want, and here's my wish list, and I'll give you something, but you better, it's like choosing the people you know that can give really good gifts back. It's like, God's a really good gift giver, so if I give to God, he's going to give me back way more, because everybody says in church, you can't outgive God. So I'm banking on that. Like, I want to give God 10 bucks, but I better get 100 grand next year. And that's how we think. This was Cain. And this, and this is the raw part of this. This is us. This is me. This is us. Cain gave to God an offering but didn't receive back what he expected. He didn't get blessed like his brother did. And so he worshiped out of anger. In his heart, he was bitter probably why it says there's a qualifier. The only thing that we're told in the narrative, you guys looked at this last week, the only thing we're told in the narrative is the qualifier for the gift. The only qualifier for Cain's gift is that it was some of his grain, some of his fruit. The qualifier for Abel's gift, firstborn. Discontentment set in. Envy set in. Anger set in. Depression set in. And then when God points out the sin, sin is crouching at the door, Cain, crouching there. He points it out. So you can't really see a crouching tiger. That's the point. Like if you see it, you kind of have a chance, but when you don't see it, you're, you're toast, you're done. But God points it out. Like, look, look at the sin. You see it, it wants to destroy you, but you can master it. You have the power, you know what to do, but Cain's anger grows towards God. He was expecting God to change, and this is, this is huge, and it's clear in this, in this text. What Cain wanted God to do was to change to accommodate his sacrifice instead of changing his sacrifice to please God. He's like, God, I gave you what I was going to give you. Now, you better like it. You better accept it. You better bless me. He wanted God to accept what he gave him and bless him because because he wanted God to change to accommodate him. He was like, here, God, I gave you something. Now, you better like it. We do this in our relationships. We do this in the lies that we live. We even do this with our offerings. Okay, God, 
you want this, but this is what you're getting. I hope you're okay with that. Now, would you bless me? Would you just do what I want you to do? I'm in this relationship, and I know I probably shouldn't be, but this is what I got. So God, you need to accept it. That's what we do. Okay, God, I'm living in this lie. Now, you need to accept my lie and move on with your life and you rule in the universe and accept me. This is me. Let's move on now. This is what Cain does. God, I, get, I gave you some of my grain. Now, you deal with it. You, you accept it. And then we'll move on with this whole thing. See, God doesn't want your stuff. God wants your heart. He wants your motives. But God's question, I love this question. It's verse 7 up here. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This assumes Cain knows right from wrong, right? Unless God's toying with them and really messing them up. What, what God says to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? He knows what to do. Cain knows what to do. God's like, listen, Cain, you know, what to do. You know how to make this right. You can make this right right now. And if you made it right, will you not be accepted? In an instant, you would be accepted. He knows what to do, but he's furious that God won't change his ways to accommodate him. Cain knows the acceptable sacrifice. He knows what to offer to God. He knows what God wants. He wants an offering of pure motives, first fruits of trust and faith. And God even gives him a second chance. Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain could have done well right then on the spot, and there it would have been over. End of his envy, end of his anger, end of his bitterness, no murder, possibly, probably the end of his depression. See, it's at these moments, you might be in one right now in your life, these moments where we're convinced we know what to do, but the question is, will we do it? This is the hardest part. Over the last couple months, I've gone in and out of some pretty dark places emotionally and spiritually, tried and tempted and discouraged, and there is not a single moment that I do not know what to do. I know exactly what to do. It's as if these words reverberate in my soul. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I mean, there's, there, there are times when we're walking right into premeditated sin, and we know exactly what to do to get out of it. We know exactly. But the question is, will we do it? We're in this depression. We know what we should do. We know, we know we could turn to God. We know how to give an acceptable offering. We know what to do. The question is, will we do it? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that there is no temptation that enters into our lives that is not a common human experience. He says this, but he says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, we all know this. We, we, we all know the way out, but will we take it? Some of us, many of us won't. We will get bitter that God doesn't just act at that moment, remove the anger, remove the trial, just give us what we want, accept my offering. God, change your ways. Cain knew what to do. He knew what offering to bring, and he didn't bring it. He was given a second chance at the blessing of God, 
But at that time, Cain no longer wanted God's blessing. He wanted Abel's death. If I cannot have heaven, at least I can raise hell. That was Cain. Why was Cain so angry? Why was Cain so furious? I mean, if you look at the very beginning of the story, both Cain and Abel had decent jobs. They both worked. They both worshipped. They both believed in God. They both wanted to do the will of God. They both brought offerings to God. But when you get right down to the very heart, to the core of who they were, you had one brother who was giving to God out of a response of who God was and another giving to God in order to get what he wanted. And he didn't get what he wanted. You had one looking for salvation and you had another looking for salvation in his own hands. God, I deserve you to bless. I deserve blessing. I gave you something. The only way out of this sort of cycle of envy, anger, jealousy, discontentment, the only way out that I've found, and it's obvious, is confession, repentance, and gratitude. Confession, repentance, and gratitude. Confession, confessing this to God, to others, repenting of it, turning from it, and then gratitude. Gratitude is so important. Okay, I'm a, um, being the, uh, the lead pastor of the church, I'm kind of like a, a, like a manager now. It's the weirdest thing in the world. It trips me out. There's a staff, and we started with like no staff. Now there's a, there's a little staff here at the church, and, and, and let, me, let me tell you something as being like a manager, boss, whatever you call them, I don't really know what you call them now, but something like that. Let me tell you the, 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 the best compliment I could pay anyone anyone I work with, anyone at all, is that they work with gratitude. Anyone I've ever worked with, even in volunteering, if someone works with gratitude, if someone works like this, I am thankful to God that he's given me the mind, the mouth, the hands to do this. I'm so thankful that I get to work here. The ugliest thing that I've ever seen on anyone who I've worked with or anyone, and by, my, by anyone I mean myself, the ugliest thing I've even seen on myself is entitlement. I deserve this. Do you, do you know what I do? Don't, don't you realize how thankful you should be that I work here? Don't you know how awesome I am? Ugliest thing. Actually, unthankfulness Romans says, is the sin that leads to all sins. It's a sin that God actually lets us like, he gives us up to, it says in Romans. That he says, you want that? Okay, I'll give you up to that. And the cycle of that sin repeats itself to where you, 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 call, you fall into every sin that you would never, ever, ever consciously say, yeah, I would, I would do that. It starts with unthankfulness. Romans one twenty one. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, what God desires, what God wants is a pure heart. But here's the deal. None of us can give him a pure heart because none of us have a pure heart. Our motives are always mixed with some sort of wickedness. Some of you in here feel like could probably relate and feel like Cain's. But some of you guys, uh, maybe, maybe you are. Maybe there is a couple of you in here who are Abel's. You're like, 
I just like go through life and I like, love God and good things happen and everybody hates me. I don't know why. Just ha- maybe m- that might be you. Okay, you're like, I just go, I just like wake up, I just like, Lord, thank you, and then I go to work, and then they're giving me stuff and free things always flow my way, and then everybody hates me. Maybe that is you. We still have this problem because we can't, the Cain's and the Abel's never reconcile because Cain's always hate Abel's. And then Abel's are always getting destroyed by Cain's, they're always getting killed, beat up, marked left off to the side, not included in things. See, the, and, and the, the other problem is our hearts are always wicked. Even if we are, we feel like, I just love God and all this stuff, we still have a wicked heart. Cornelius Plantinga, who we've um, quoted a lot through this series on sin in the fall in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, says at the end of his book, Jesus Christ represented both innocent Abel and guilty Cain and reconciled them to each other and to God. Jesus Christ, the naturally innocent one, the natural able, became sin for us. He took Cain's place as well as Abel's. And when the terrible struggle between these odd foes war was over, or odd foes was over, on resurrection morning, God raised the victim of envy, the one who has been slain. The one whose blood has been crying out from the ground for so many centuries. On this event, all Christians center their hope for shalom. The only possible way that you and I can have peace with God and peace with one another is look to Christ. Who was that innocent Abel and became for us guilty Cain. And because of that, we can have life. I want to ask you, I want to invite you as we close in in prayer and response and worship is to think seriously. If, If you're dealing with any sort of anger, maybe even depression, sort of bitterness, and it might be focused at a person right now or might slightly be moving over to God to confess that and repent to turn from that right now, to say, this is what I'm dealing with. It might even need to be with someone else. You just go up to somebody like, listen, I'm, I'm struggling with all this envy, and I, need, I have this heart that's, that's wicked that God needs to change. And here's the promise, that he will change, that he will change our hearts, and he will clothe us with righteousness. See, we know what to do. I think, I think it's clear. Even if this is your first time here, we, we know we could turn, turn to God and live. We know that instinctively as humans made in the image of God. Let's turn. Let's turn together. Let's repent. And then let's worship with a gratitude that comes from deep within. That as we move through this holiday season and discontentment wants to raise its ugly head and depression wants to raise its ugly head, let's kill that with gratitude. Thankful to God that he's given us life and breath and salvation. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you, God, that you are gentle 
that you moved, that you moved your way to Cain and, and, and you pointed out that sin. God, I know that there are people, even here this morning, that you're just you're showing them that. You're, you're just pointing that out and you're like, sin is crouching at your door. And I pray, God, that you give us the grace, the wisdom, as we mentioned in the beginning, the conviction and convincing that we need to turn to you and live. I pray that this place would be a place of freedom. I ask you, God, that this would be a safe place where people could feel safe to repent, to turn to Christ. And I ask, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would bring times of refreshing that come from the presence of God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.